0: Um, In the story of Prophet Musa and Prophet Khizr in Surah al Kahf, Prophet Khizr was commanded by Allah to kill an innocent child. How is this just when it is morally wrong to kill a child and before he had even committed a crime? Does this not reflect the Asha'alaite's interpretations of divine justice, that it is only just because Allah said it is? Thank you very much. You can mention even a case, maybe greater than that case, because that child was going to create troubles for his parents. We have another case, and that's Ismail. Ismail was not going to create any trouble, but still got said to be him to slaughter him. Is it Zul, an innocent child like Ismail, to be slaughtered? Again, this is not the rule, because as we said, no one has any right over God. So God has given us life. He can decide whether this life should be for five days or 50 years or 100 years. So if God decides to terminate my life, whether through his generative actions or through legislative actions, this is not an act of injustice. There must be a maslaha for it. Yes, that's a matter of wisdom of God. There was a maslaha. There was a great interest in asking Abraham to slaughter Ismail. There was a great maslaha in what Khezr did to that person. But it's not a question of God being unjust. What is important is that no one other than God can make such decisions. We don't have a right to say, because this person in future is going to create troubles, let's you know stop him from now. No one has this right. Because people, first of all, may change. Maybe this person becomes a better person. Secondly, if we allow people to act upon what they guess can happen in the future, then there will be chaos. So we go in our normal life by what we call Zahir, according to the apparent situation. Someone, as long as has not yet committed a crime, he's not going to be punished or to be stopped. But God the Almighty, he has a control over our life, and he can decide to take our life away when we are going to be definitely criminal, or even if we are not going to be criminal, but for a greater cause like Ismail. So we have to distinguish between what people are supposed to do and we think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has a full right over our lives. As-salamu alaykum. as And you mentioned justice of God. You mentioned if you want wisdom, you should go to Hawzah, for what he years. How is it just of God to do this, if say we're living in the West, say our father's very busy with our family, how can he have time for hozah, for example? Just, could then you invite someone to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to be humble, we shouldn't expect to understand too much. Yeah? So depending on how much you have dedicated your life to learning, then inshallah you can understand a little bit. Even our greatest scholars, they have never claimed they understand everything or they understand most of the thing, or they understand 50% of the thing. No one has ever said such things. They all say we know very little. Our knowledge is very, very limited. Allah says in the Quran, We know very little. So the best thing you can learn is that you have to be humble in your claim of knowledge. Anyone who says, I know everything, everything for me is clear, I can make decisions you know, very clearly, you are you know, clearly wrong, this is a problem. This shows that there is no humbleness. True knowledge comes with humbleness. There is also a story that one person I think it was Jahiz. Jahez is a person known for his you know Arabic literature. Uh, so one day he was sitting on Medbar and someone asked him a question, I think a lady, asked him a question and he said, I don't know. Then asked another question and he said, I don't know. Then a the third question, I don't know. So he said, why are you sitting on member? He said, I am sitting on member based on what I, I know. If I was going to sit based on what, what I don't know, my member should be in the sky. I have come this much higher because my little is only this much. If you want to fix my position based on what I do not know, then I have to have a member in, in the sky. So we are all very limited in knowledge, very, very limited in our knowledge, but even limited knowledge helps. Imagine in a dark desert is someone with a torch, that helps, everyone goes next to a person with a torch, but this is a torch, this is not sun shining, this is not a star shining, it's just a torch, but that torch is to be appreciated. Yes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> <coughs> Um, I was just wondering how you think we should think about the idea of justice in parallel with the idea of Allah's mercy. So, for example, um, if I'm thinking about the sins that I've committed, I would hope that Allah would be merciful towards me, and that if I repent, that maybe that would mean that I shouldn't be punished for them. But at the same time, if someone's been a much better Muslim than me, and has committed much better acts and not committed the sins that I've done, then in terms of justice, I should be punished for that. So, how are we supposed to think about Allah's mercy versus the, the necessity for having sort of punishment as a sense of justice? Yeah. Thank you very much. The main principle is <laughs> that good people and bad people should not be treated the same. كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا كَمَنْ كَانَ فَاسَقًا Okay? This is the main principle. They should not be treated the same. Those who have been pious and those who have not been treated the same. But this doesn't mean that necessarily one of them should go to hell the other should go to heaven. It can be the case. It can be that one of them goes to a lower level of heaven, for example, and to a higher level of heaven. Or someone doesn't go to heaven, just is saved from hell. You know, because we have people who are neither in hell nor in heaven. They are in Araf. Anyway, there, there are lots of possibilities for treating people based on justice, but not necessarily punishing one. It can be with punishing, it can be with forgiving, but giving lower level. It can be by doing something for them in dunya. What is important is, من يعمل this is a principle. God for sure, as much as possible, as much as possible helps us not to go to hell. Because even for God, if a person goes to hell is not something that you know is his plan. The plan of God is everyone should go to heaven. You know, do you think any, for example, city council makes the city in order to have prison? No, but we have to have prison. We want, you know, housing, we want a hospital, we want library, we want the schools, but we have also to have prison. But if all people go to prison, (laughs) we don't say it's a good town because people go to prison. For God, the plan was to give people everything that they need. Guidance, inspiration, everything so that they go all to heaven. If all humanity goes to heaven, there would be no problem. There is no shortage. It's not that they say, okay, we have only limited space. We don't have any space. No. The plan is everyone should be helped to go to heaven. But there are people who don't want even if you offer mercy, they say, we don't want yeah. no, alayhi salam, said to his son, Ya bunayya, irka'b ma'ana. My dear son, come to this ship and be saved. He said, I don't want to be saved. I don't want you helping me. Sa'awi ila jabalan min al I will know what to do. I will go on top of a mountain. I don't need your ship. I don't need rahma from you and from your Lord. What can you do? Can you take him as a hostage and bring him to the sheep? You cannot force people. (laughs) So, there are people that they themselves prefer not to go towards the mercy of God. They want to be on their own. Like imagine, if a person has been uh, staying for a long time in darkness. Imagine, someone has been in darkness for few hours completely dark and then all of a sudden you switch on the light what would he say just switch off switch off it's hurting me there are people who are used to darkness if you offer them light they say it's bothering us Quran says there are people that when they hear the name of God, their heart becomes full of dismay. They don't like God, they don't like mercy of God, they don't like anything good coming from God. These are the people that they choose for themselves to go to hell. You know, Quran talks very beautifully about people's relation with hell and heaven. When it comes to heaven, Quran says, Okay? They are led towards heaven. The people who are also denying and rejecting God the they also are led towards hell, okay, so they're both led, but in another ayah says the nature of this leading is different, although they are both led, but in a different way. When it comes to hell, it says, Hell just becomes obvious for those who are misguided. What does it mean? It means they are in hell. Just it will be known to them that they are in hell. They are not put in hell. They are in hell. Thus, we let them know that they are in hell. But when it comes to muttaqeen, uzlifatil jannatul muttaqin, Heaven is brought near muttaqin. So, we are going to heaven with the help of God, But we are not pushed by God to hell. God just tells us that you are in hell. You understand the difference? So, if you go to prison, you go by yourself. But if you go to universities, by the help of the teachers, by the help of the school and authority. So, God is not sending anyone to hell. Of course, we can, as a Torah, say God is sending, but in reality, it's you. You are putting yourself into hell. Yes, those who go to heaven, it's from God, because that needs guidance from God, blessing of God. Sometimes I use this example. Imagine on a very busy road, and cars and trucks all are you know going very fast. You are walking with your child, who is very naughty, full of energy, naughty, and wants to, you know, experience everything, you know, adventurous. So, you know, this is very dangerous. You tell him to be very careful. Very dangerous. Also, you hold on his hand. Okay, you hold on his hand. Then, all of a sudden, he jumps and runs away from you and gets hit by a car or truck. Who is responsible? You warned him. You took his hand. But he rebels and runs away. And gets killed. Of course you feel very bad. You feel. But you are not responsible for this. You did everything possible. So the people. Who say. We don't want guidance of God. Who run away from God. And end up hurting themselves. They should only blame themselves. They should not blame God. They should not even blame. Any person. They should blame only themselves. Yes. Uh, Sorry, Salam. Um, you mentioned that um, a dialogue is very uh, Shia thing, and that we needed to have this um, as a Shia ad-Din. Um, uh, I just wanted to know more about why we needed to differentiate so much um, the Shia identity, and why we need to say. Okay, Adala is one of the Usundi team as opposed to being, okay, this is an extra thing. Why was it made one of the core components? There are two things. One is the significance of Adala. As I said, it's the basis of many other things, basis of your moral system. It's basis of your ability to be able to prove religion. So, it's very central position, but also It was a way to identify yourself. Because when there are lots of debates, lots of theological controversies, people should know what is their identity. Otherwise, people can get affected by other ways of thinking, by other schools of thought. So in order to be able to identify who are the people to whom they can associate in theology who are the people who are on the same line. So they had to identify themselves through certain means. One was through leadership, one was through theological doctrines. Now, Alhamdulillah, we have been established. Now it's after 14 centuries. So we have lots of things to referred to in order to understand ourselves and understand our you know, identity. But when the schools of thought were in the process of formation and development, if they were not careful, they could you know, easily be affected by other people, they could go to different you know, directions. So it was very important to establish this clear identity. And alhamdulillah, in the time of Imam Sadr, Imam Badr, our fiqh was established in the time of Imam Razar, Aqidah was established. But at the beginning, it was very difficult. Even Shia were being affected, you know, some Shia stopped with four Imams, some Shia stopped with five Imams, some Shia with six Imams, some Shia with seventh Imam. But after Imam Razar there was no separation, no split, because Aqidah was established by that time. But nowadays, we have to be careful. Because in the past, we have had some people who split, you know, some movements came as heretical movement out of Shia Islam, as have come from other ways, you know, schools of, uh, but we have had uh, branches out of Shia Islam, I don't want to mention names, you know some of them. And in future, this also can happen. So maybe they don't deny these five principles, but on many other issues, they may totally differ from the mainstream Shia. And this is why we emphasize on necessity of referring to our marajah, to our ulama, to our hosa, Because if we are not careful, then God forbids we may see new, you know, schools forming within the 12 We have to be very careful. Especially now that the community is spread all over the world and people are speaking different languages but our traditional ways of communication between the central body and the community has not developed as fast as the spread of the community, and still we have problems in communication, then this time is very dangerous. Now it's not that everyone can easily communicate to his manager or you know, to a great ulama. There's problem of language, there is a spread of the community, there are new challenges, so in this time, it's very important for us to be always trying hard to connect to the main sources of knowledge despite languages which should overcome the barriers caused by language, by distance, so that inshallah, the same message that we kept receiving from our marajah in the last you know, 1,000 years or more, inshallah, we keep receiving. It's not only on marajah to send message, it's also on us to receive the message. This is not something that you say, okay, we are here, you know, they should send to us their message. No, you have also, if you are thirsty, you should go also for water. You don't expect people to come and give you water and you know say, you know, two spoons of water I put in your mouth. We should also go and try to get the knowledge, which is water for our soul, from pure sources. This is very important. Alhamdulillah, UK, we are in very good condition, because, alhamdulillah, distances are shorter, and we have many ulama, we have connection, we speak English, which is nowadays a language is common, but imagine if someone you know, is speaking, you know, all those languages, you know, Portuguese, you know, Spanish, I don't know, many other languages, you know, it's very difficult for them to communicate, German, you know, all those languages, and maybe no one is there in Com or Natchez who would be directly communicating with them. So our community has to quickly equip itself with a very uh, robust and reliable ways of communication so that the true message comes and challenges are sent, guidance is sent, all like a blood circulation. You know, between heart and all cells of body, always circulation is there. It's not just body is getting blood and not sending back. Our heart is just sending and not getting back. Everything should go around. This is the way that the community of Ahlul should function as a one body with circulation to all over the body. I just want to mention one example, a story, beautiful story. Uh, you know Imam Musa Sadr, who unfortunately, for many years, you know, is in a kind of state. We don't know what happened to him. He gave a lecture in Kohn before the revolution, and there are many good points, you know, he mentioned. One of the things I always remember, he says in Lebanon, you know, there are sometimes villages which are all Christians, sometimes there are villages which are all Muslims, sometimes they are mixed. He says there is one village that has only one Christian family. One Christian family, and he says every Sunday a priest comes to that village and runs, uh, you know, mass, Eucharist, only for that family. What does it show? This shows that first the church is aware of every single Christian family. It's not that they don't know they exist, and secondly, they have planned in place that a priest every Sunday goes and visits them. Because they are in a fragile situation, if they don't receive, you know, this in an environment that they are surrounded by non-Christians, they may lose their faith. So every Sunday, one priest goes there. How far we are from that stage that for every single Shia family, we have an imam that visits them every week. So you can see the difference, the distance. So we have to work hard and we cannot blame others, we have to see what I can do to improve. You know, if you want to blame others, nothing will happen. Everyone should see what he or she can do to improve. That's the way we can, inshallah, make progress.